I'm going to read from the um, book of Job, which, uh, number, it's Job 10, which is page 516 in the Pew Bible, if you want to follow. I just wanted to, to put the reading into context. Um, Job, you'll remember, was a victim of a test by Satan. And at this point in the story, his donkeys and his oxen have been taken, his sheep have been burned up, his camels have been stolen, his sons and daughters have been killed, he's suffered from painful sores, and to make things worse, he's visited by three so-called friends who seem to pass judgment on him. And this is part of Job's response to Bildad, the, the second of those friends who come to visit. I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free rein to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me, but tell me what charges you have against me. Does it please you to oppress me, to spurn the work of your hands while you smile on the schemes of the wicked? Do you have eyes of flesh? Do you see as a mortal sees? Are your days like those of a mortal or your years like those of a man that you must search out my faults and probe after my sin? Though you know that I am not guilty and that no one can rescue me from your hand. Your hand shaped me and made me. Will you now turn and destroy me? Remember that you moulded me like clay. Will you now turn me to dust again? Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese, clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews? You gave me life and you showed me kindness and in your providence watched over my spirit. But this is what you concealed in your heart, and I know that this was in your mind. If I sinned, you would be watching me and would not let my offence go unpunished. If I am guilty, woe to me. Even if I am innocent, I cannot lift my head, for I am full of shame and drowned in my affliction. If I hold my head high, You stalk me like a lion and again display your awesome power against me. You bring new witnesses against me and increase your anger towards me. Your forces come against me wave upon wave. Why then did you bring me out of the womb? I wish I had died before any eye saw me. If only... I had never come into being or had been carried straight from the womb to the grave. Are not my few days almost over? Turn away from me so that I can have a moment's joy before I go to the place of no return, to the land of gloom and deep shadow, to the land of deepest night, of deep shadow and disorder, where even the light is like darkness. Christ has set me free from negativity. 
Uh, that's a line in a song by Rend Collective, and I really hate to slate Rend Collective because I love them, they're a great worship band. But I just don't think that Christ does set us free from negativity. Yes, he sets us free from things that are negative, but isn't negativity a state of mind? I just don't think that Christ sets us free from the fact that sometimes we won't be happy. And I don't think the Rend Collective have picked this message up out of nowhere. I think they've picked up on something that is in the culture of Christianity. I don't think that in the church we allow ourselves to be real about how we feel. We sing songs that are all about joy and happiness. And when we get up and sing, we're not embracing anything other than contentedness. And during the service, we'll have praise, we'll have thanksgiving. There's just not room for any other feeling. Even our prayers, our, our intercessions, our prayers for other people's needs. And it gives the impression that we never need anything. We're okay, we're happy, we're content. And uh, we were talking about this in college recently, because we were talking about bereavement. Uh, a man whose wife died a year ago said that he finds it impossible to sing these songs of praises. He, he still trusts in God. He still loves God. But he just can't bring himself to honestly sing praises. He can't sing that he's H-A-P-P-Y because he's not. And have we all been there? Because I have. I've felt that when you arrive at the service and everything's bouncy and contented and joyful and everyone gets up to sing and I feel a fraud for singing those things because no I'm just not there today I'm just in a slightly rubbish place in my life right now and this isn't helping this is fake so I had psalms read today lots of psalms in this service and I find it interesting that psalms was originally a songbook because the ancient Israelites must have been far more willing to embrace their sadness. The, the reading that we did on the screens, as I said, that's 41 of the Psalms are all about lament. That's almost a third of the book of Psalms. A third of the time we're singing these laments, this sadness. And what we read together, even though it was hugely long, it is just the tip of a very sad iceberg. And... Um, you know, in those songs, people are mourning and questioning and suffering and calling on God in the long, dark night of their souls. But the very fact that those psalms have made it into the Bible means that there is a seal of approval on feeling that way. It's a recognition that it is a way to talk to God. And it's natural. To be sad. It's natural to lament and it's okay. And it's not just okay to feel sad, but it's okay to come to God with that feeling. The psalmists have doubt in their hearts as to where God might be in the situation, but they're not hiding from it. They are out there talking to God and telling him this is how they feel. Even though they want to shout at God, they don't hide. And I think that at church, if we're feeling that way, if we're stressed and sad, I think we skip church. I think we give it a miss because it's easier to hide from it than to face it here because we're so joyous 
at God. I think we can approach God with anything that we're feeling, no matter how terrible and dark it is. And this sort of negativity isn't just in the Psalms. I've, I mentioned Isaiah really briefly earlier, and it's, it's in the name in Lamentations. And then also Job, which Doug brought us a reading from earlier. That's the place where I really get this sense of talking to God in your sadness. If you haven't read Job and you weren't listening with Doug summarised it, I'll summarise it again for you because it's a really good book. There's this man who is upright and righteous and good. He is a good man, Job. And uh, he's blameless. He does nothing wrong. But one day, all his children die. All of them. And he was fairly wealthy in the sense there were noses in terms of having lots of herds. And suddenly all his herds are gone, either stolen or dead, and he has nothing left in the entire world. And still that man finds it in himself to praise God. And then he gets this disease. The only thing left in, in the world is his body. And now that body is crumbling under his... He's just, he's just so ill. And it's at this point that his friends show up to comfort him, but uh, they're not very good at comfort because they're telling him that, that he must have done something wrong, that God only punishes sinners, that bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. So Job, what did you do wrong? Most of the book of Job alternates between the friends giving bad advice and Job rebutting that advice and lamenting over everything that has gone wrong in his life and crying to God and asking God, why has this happened to me? And the friends tell him off. They're saying, you shouldn't talk to God like that. Who are you to question God? And then right at the end of the book, God shows up and gives his response. God says that Job's friends were wrong and that he shouldn't have listened to them. And what he doesn't say is interesting to me because he doesn't agree with the friends that Job shouldn't have said that. He doesn't tell Job off. He allows Job to question him. And if you want to know the end, yes, it does get a happy ending. Job has more children and gains his wealth. It's worth a read, though even though I've spoiled the ending now. Another reason... No, hang on, I've missed a bit. No, I haven't. Another reason that I know you're allowed to express this sadness, this natural state of humanity, is that Jesus did. God is human in Jesus... And Jesus Jesus supremely expressed his humanity when he was on the cross, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the opening line of Psalm 22, which is one of these psalms of lament, in which the psalmist talks about his troubles and feelings. He, um, I did have the right page now, I don't. Yes, I do. He says things like, Uh, I can count all my bones. Dogs are around me. My heart has melted like wax. I'm poured out of water. My bones are out of joint. I am a worm. I am scorned. I am mocked. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I cry out day by day, but you do not answer. 
by night, but I find no rest. Jesus is quoting from this sad, sad psalm. And Jesus was free to express that feeling, to express his own humanity, his darker feelings. And if he can, then then we can. He sets us free to negativity. He sets us free to embrace that darker side of our humanity as well. God understands because Jesus understands. We don't have to pretend to be happy. And we're not disobeying God if we're not happy all the time. And I think it's noteworthy that Jesus quotes a question because we're allowed not just to be unhappy but to ask questions and doubt and be uncertain. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is one of dozens and dozens and dozens of questions in the Psalms. Questions like, why are you so far away? Why do you hide your face from our mis- and forget our misery and oppression? Why do you hold back your hand? Take it from the folds of your garment and destroy them. I love that bit. He's saying, God, why have you got your hands in your pockets? The Psalms are full of questions to God. And you can tell from the nature of the questions that they're not just intellectually asking, hey God, why did you allow that to happen? No, these are people crying out to God. These are people suffering and in pain and besieged by their enemies and set about on all sides. And they're not saying the questions, they are shouting to the skies, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why aren't you helping me? Why aren't you here when I need you? And you know, God can take that kind of shouting at him. He's a big guy. We don't have to guard our tongues. We can ask God from, the, from our hearts. For me personally, this was an important lesson. Uh, initially, I asked Ali to come up and do the reading from Psalms, but she's still in recovery. She couldn't be here today. But it was Steve and Ali who taught me this. When I was really suffering, they taught me that it's okay to tell God how you're feeling. It's okay to shout at him. You're already forgiven and he already knows that you feel this. He is God. He sees inside your heart. He doesn't want you to put on a brave face for him because he knows. He already knows. It is okay to bring this stuff to God. And If we're bringing him our questions, that means we've had uncertainty. That means we've found problems. We've found doubt. And here's a tricky thing. You don't have to know the answers. That's a really hard one. You don't have to know the answers. You don't have to have everything all stitched up. Now that I'm occasionally asked to come up and preach on stage, I feel like I'm expected to know a lot more answers than I really do. I feel like if I'm up here in the pulpit, I should know about theology. I should know where in the Bible to find certain things. I should be able to answer deep questions. And I should understand a lot about God. But, you know, I'm still stumbling about in the dark trying to work this through. 
I don't know. I have uncertainties and I have doubts and I've learned some long words to express my confusion in, but I'm still confused. But I do know enough about God to know that he is trustworthy. I don't know, but I don't think that you can ever stop asking questions of God, ever stop seeking more. Um, I think you will always come up with situations in which you've got a new question you'd never thought of before. Does that go on your entire lives? But it doesn't matter that you don't know. You're not stupid for not knowing it. You shouldn't be ashamed of not knowing it. And you certainly shouldn't keep quiet thinking, I should have already known that and it was a bit silly of me to ask. No, this is another thing I learned from Ali. Don't be afraid to ask stupid questions. Don't be afraid to not know things. Because what really matters is that you are seeking the answers, you are seeking God and you are seeking certainty. And if your questions bring you into further doubt, don't fear that. Uncertainty is all a part of the journey. The Psalms are full of questions because it's normal to have questions. And we can seek answers. We can seek the answers in the Bible. We can seek the counsel of one another as Christians who might have gone through this before. And, and it needs to be said, though, that you might not find answers. Suffering is one where you often don't quite find answers and you end up just trusting. And... I think that as long as you have enough to stand secure on God, then we can live without answers. Now that's a really hard thing to say because I think, I think we live in a world of certainty. I think we believe that science has worked out all the answers. If we don't know how something works, someone else does, a scientist or someone. Or if we don't know at the very extremes of the edges of science, we at least think that one day they'll crack it, one day they'll solve it, and everything is comprehensible in this world. Well, I'm sorry, but it's not. It's not, because, because there are always going to be things we don't understand. Because what we're dealing with here is God, and God is wider than the universe. He is he's creator of the universe, and I can't comprehend God. I can't wrap my head around him. If I could, I, it wouldn't be God I was wrapping my head around because he's so much bigger than I can comprehend. There will always be a gap between what I can understand and the things of God. And that's another thing that comes from Job. When Job, God's talking to Job, what he, what he says basically boils down to, I made the world. I am vastly beyond you. Why would you get this? Do you understand? I'm God. I'm not saying though, don't misunderstand me, I'm not saying just relax, it's fine, there aren't going to be answers so don't worry about it. That is not what I would ever want to, you to think I'd said because what I'm saying is that after, after you have searched, after you have found answers that are enough for you, there will still be blanks. 
but you need to seek enough that you can rest secure on God. Seek to have enough evidence, enough proof of his goodness that you can rest securely in your faith. Now, if you think about it, we do do this all the time anyway. Aeroplanes are a good example. I've flown on aeroplanes dozens of times and I still don't have a clue how they work. Every time I've gone in an aeroplane, it has taken off, it's flown, it's landed and I've safely arrived somewhere. I don't have the foggiest idea how it works. I started to look it up, I saw envelopes and lift and thrust and I gave up because it confused me. But I trust that aeroplane to take me to my destination and I trust it to get me there safely even if I don't understand it. And the more I thought about this analogy, the more I realised I do this all the time. I haven't actually got a clue how my mobile phone works, uh, but I do know if I press the right buttons, uh, it will work and I can phone someone. I, I don't understand the technology and I don't understand the internet. I don't understand so many... I don't understand this mic's working. I don't understand so many things and yet I trust in them to work. I trust them because I've tried them out and they work. They do. This microphone... No, it's not a good example. The aeroplane works pretty well. Um, Every time I've been on an aeroplane, it has taken me where I needed to go. I've been able to trust securely in it. And I have tested and found out for myself that God is trustworthy. I am certain, and I invite you to test him for yourself. Test and see... Taste and see that the Lord is good. Only just occurred to me. Try it for yourself. Try trusting in God because you will find security in him. The Psalms of lament follow a pattern. And after all the lamenting, after all the sadness, after all the description of their sorrows and after their crying's out for God's help, they get back to this section right at the end where they say, praise you, God. They haven't lost faith, the psalmists. They haven't lost God. They're not saying, God, you don't exist because you don't answer my prayer. You don't, you're not there. I can't find you. They're saying, I know you're there and I will continue to praise you through this darkness, through the storm, through the suffering. I know you're there. I trust you. I still love you. Because those psalmists had enough faith to stand firm on God the rock. They knew what was under their feet and they trusted it. They they didn't doubt, but they were uncertain. I think eventually that everyone's faith should come to that point where you can say, I don't understand God, but I have enough evidence to trust in him. And I I don't need to know all the answers, just enough of the answers. And I pray that everyone here has that. I pray that if you are already a Christian, that your faith is firm enough, that you have enough proof, enough evidence, and enough answers, that you find that rock to stand on, the rock that will keep you standing firm when the floods rise all around you. And I pray that if you're listening to me from today from a place that you still don't know God, that my prayer for you is that one day you will come to the same conclusion that I have, that there is enough evidence, there is enough proof, 
there's just something at the bedrock of my being that tells me, yeah, actually, God is there. I can't change that. So I'm going to have to do something about it. Like, trust him. We are allowed to be uncertain. We are allowed to cry out for answers. We're allowed to call on God to resolve our problems. We are allowed to be honest in our doubts. And we are allowed to be honest in our unhappiness, our sorrow, our stresses and grief. Christ has set me free to full humanity. Shall we pray? God Almighty, thank you that you are our rock on whom we can stand firm. Thank you that when troubles surround us, we still stand on you. Be present for people here when they are suffering and sorrowing and in trouble that they might rest securely in you through that storm. And thank you that we can approach your throne, that we can be honest with you and open with you because of what you did for us on the cross to open the way for humanity to meet divinity. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.